You are witnessing a front three-quarter view of two adults sharing a tender moment. Hello and welcome to Front Three Quarter View, my Twin Peaks podcast and general look at all things within the Twin Peaks universe. Thank you if you've listened to the podcast I've put out so far. Um, I did a bit of a quick introduction about me and my my Twin Peaks journey at this stage and uh, how many times I've seen it and my reaction to it and that kind of thing. And in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about a sort of theory, a sort of concept um, surrounding Twin Peaks and about some of the things within it. So I'm going to be talking about nostalgia. Um, I'm going to be talking about time in general. Uh, There'll be a bit of hauntology thrown in there as well. There'll be a bit of uh, late season two discussion, a bit of discussion about the return and a kind of look at some of the characters as well and the journeys that they go on. And really I I kind of I'm interested in nostalgia anyway as a kind of concept. I mean it's it's a it's a kind of love for something that didn't really happen, isn't it? It's it's a wistfulness for something that you think was a certain way but ultimately wasn't. And I think nostalgia is a really interesting thing to examine with regards to Twin Peaks. And I've sort of come at it um, from the perspective in this case of hauntology, um, which I will go into a little bit more depth on in a second. Um, but basically, I think I think I have a prob I have a huge problem actually with nostalgia and people who are overly nostalgic about things and I think that it's such an interesting thing to examine in terms of the characters within the universe but also within the fandom as well um, for Twin Peaks and this kind of nostalgia for a series that was and it's fascinating when you look at something like The Return which was made so many years after the original series and set 25 years later obviously because the return could have very easily been a nostalgia trip and it's really not and it's it's brilliant for it and it's loved for it and the fact that such an such a kind of strange sequel um so many years on has been embraced and accepted by fandom in the way that it has and kind of analyzed and talked about and enthused about is really a credit to the way that Lynch and Frost approached the return and kind of the bravery in saying no we're just going to do a new story but here is how here are the connections here are the bits of nostalgia that we're going to allow you and I think it was a genius way of making a brand new series so many years after the original Um, and that's something I'll come back to towards the end of this kind of rambling discussion um, that I'm going to be having. So hauntology is um it's it's a it's a few things it's um it's a concept by Derrida from the 90s um but it's also specifically a a genre uh there's something which people may have heard of called scarfolk uh which is kind of this um nightmarish demon cultish vision of the 70s and 
kind of like a dark twist on 70s advertising and aesthetic and imagery and kind of uh, just the things that were around in Britain, especially in the 70s, kind of manipulated and twisted and made darker. And hauntology in general is just this concept of taking something that is old, something generally visual, or it can be musical as well, that is old, and then twisting it and giving it like a place within the present or within the future. Um, And it's been described as something that gives us nostalgia for a past that never truly existed. But it's kind of more than that as well, because it's also described as a nostalgia for lost futures. So it's it's something that takes something from the past and shows us it in a way that wasn't how it was, but is a nostalgic look at it, um, or in the case of Scarfolk, is a kind of darker look at it. And it's I think it's that kind of... Um, it, it, it ties in with nostalgia and time being a bit of a jumble. Derrida, when he talks about hauntology in a much more complicated and intelligent way than I'm currently doing, um, uses the Hamlet quote, the time is out of joint. And I think there's not a more Twin Peaksy Shakespeare-y quote than that. Is that the time is out of joint? That's, that's, the, that's the return finale. Um, and... It's interesting reading up on hauntology, and by reading up, I mean a quick browse on Wikipedia, um, trying to like staple bits of intelligent things onto the rough understanding I already have of the concept. Peter Buse and Andrew Scott, um, not to be confused with the Andrew Scott who plays Moriarty in Sherlock, I'm assuming, um, describe hauntology or kind of explain it by saying this. Ghosts arrive from the past and appear in the present. However, the ghost cannot properly be said to belong to the past. Does then the historical person who is identified with the ghost properly belong to the present? Surely not, as the idea of a return from death fractures all traditional conceptions of temporality. The temporality to which the ghost is subject is therefore paradoxical. At once they return and make their apparitional debut. Um, which is a fantastic phrase, their apparitional debut. But basically, a ghost exists in two places at once, um, something from the past also existing in the present. And that definition of hauntology has basically been taken and run with, and uh, it's it's in aesthetics, it's in... Um, and in Britain, kind of tied in with things like um, kind of protect and survive nuclear war adverts, and serial branding from the 70s and kind of using that in a kind of stranger modern context and then in America hauntology appears as something like vaporwave which is where you've got 80s and 90s kind of aesthetics and music kind of just mucked around with and all of that is really interesting in the light of Twin Peaks because nostalgia and hauntology are both very present in the entire series, um, all of the series that have been on. So the original series uses 50s Americana, essentially, to, well, I think to generate nostalgia for a time that no longer exists, but also that didn't ever quite exist. And 
there is a kind of um i mean mark frost has said that the young characters in season one are kind of styled on rebel without a cause there is a there is a 50s kind of feel to bobby and shelley even the kind of like the uniforms in the r and r diner and it's it there's just a there's just a feel for this kind of almost timeless place but also a place that's hugely infused with the 50s i mean the um the kind of the the varsity jacket that um mike wears and the general look of the high school it's all very 50s oriented james with his bike leathers on his motorbike and there's there's a really strong sense of that within the series of this kind of it's modern but it's also timeless but it's also 50s and it's all of those things at once in in just the aesthetic of of the show and even in terms of like the way the characters talk in terms of like everyone talks very much in these kind of melodramatic extremes a lot of the time especially James and Donna and in series two um, Evelyn Marsh talks in similar ways to James when she's like they've known each other for like three days and she's like James I love you I've never said that to anyone before um I watched that episode last night it's fresh in my head um and it's this thing that you have this kind of old film kind of way of speaking this very heavily fictionalized way of speaking and it makes it seem artificial in lots of ways it is kind of knowingly this artificial capturing of an older time within Twin Peaks and then you look at Lynch's wider work and that's exactly what he does I mean he's openly obsessed with capturing the 50s in aesthetics in music in kind of in character I mean it's it's infused in blue velvet and just the way he talks in interviews and in books about his childhood it's always this kind of rosy view of his childhood and I think there's a place I think it might be in Room to Dream I'm not sure where he talks about kind of it, it you know he acknowledges that it wasn't all rosy and kind of pleasant this childhood growing up in the 1950s but he had a very happy childhood it's just and he chooses to present a certain side of it also in his work he chooses to present a certain side of it um and there is a lot of darkness actually in lynch's films especially when they try and capture the 50s that you don't get in his own stories about his childhood growing up then and that's even more interesting than when he does say he you know these negative memories he has from when he was growing up we're kind of drawn to them because you know, normally it's this rosy, picture-perfect view of suburban, growing-up, 50s Americana sort of life. And he, the fact that when he deviates from that, it gets really... When he deviates from that, it gets really interesting. So, clearly just his approach to telling stories about himself and telling stories, Lynch's approach... Um, and Lynch and Frost's approach collectively in making those that pilot of Twin Peaks. The 50s influence is very clearly and very deliberately there. But it is also obviously a kind of modern revival of that. So it is therefore hauntology. Um, and it is also, 
it is nostalgic. I think despite the darkness of it, there is a nostalgia in just having, in just making the decision to show a 50s side of things, to show a 50s aesthetic. That is nostalgic, whether you're showing the bad side or not. Um, but then the fact you do then show the bad side, you do, it is, you know, Twin Peaks is a dark series. Lynch's films inspired by that time are very dark films. And I think that helps to kind of, I think it means it has a healthy relationship with nostalgia. You look at something like The Return and the end of The Return, um... I mean, Laura Palmer doesn't die. That That is the ending, surely. I mean, she she is saved by Cooper, but then she disappears. But then she reappears as Carrie Page. So Laura Palmer wasn't saved, but she is now this alternate version of herself. Or maybe this is just an alternate version of events. There's so many theories on all of that. Um, and that's another podcast. But... It's interesting that by the end of Twin Peaks, The Return, and also reading the end of the final dossier by Mark Frost, you get to this point where Twin Peaks is as Twin Peaks was, pretty much, before Cooper arrived and before Laura died. So the series goes full circle, which I, watching that on The Return for the first time, I loved it so much. Um... That whole bit where Cooper saves her and it's played like Laura's played by Cheryl Lee, but she genuinely looks the same as she does when they filmed it in the early 90s. And that's just an in, it's just so insanely well done, that bit. And it's it's bizarre that you have, you know, you then have the flashback to Pete and Josie and then Laura Palmer's body disappears from the beach. Twin Peaks doesn't happen as in the series it just it just does not happen and then you have people who kind of you have the people in the town who then remember two versions of events they say you know it's it's in the final dossier that Tammy explains to them what happened and they go oh yeah that sounds about right but even the written records like the facts of what happened with the Laura Palmer case change because of Cooper's interference so that's the closest the town is ever going to get to being how it was before Laura died, because that literally does change everything. So therefore, anything we see after season three, any content, if we ever get it from after season three, is this kind of like hauntological future where they're literally living a future that has never really existed. Um... They are in a present that is influenced by a past that never changed. Um, and I think, in, I think in the series, it's fair to say that everyone wants it to go back to how it was before Laura died. Like that James and Donna talk about that in almost every scene that they have together. It drives their characters all the time. It, it never leaves them whereas I think it's interesting with someone like Bobby because he his character doesn't really have that much to do with Laura beyond season one maybe um but James and Donna are just continuously informed by their involvement with Laura and then with Maddie and that 
that's their whole that becomes their whole life and everyone is yearning for this time nostalgic for this time where Laura was was alive but then that's hugely ironic because when Laura was alive things weren't this rosy picture perfect American dream village life that I think a lot of the characters probably think believed it to be I think a lot of the characters in season two when the Laura Palmer case is solved then kind of revert back to how they would have been before she died so it's interesting that the series chooses to go back to the school and Doug Milford's wedding happens which is something that happens all the time the characters are like oh yeah he gets married every few years so if Doug Milford keeps getting married that means the last time he got married was before Laura was killed and so that means that things have kind of gone back to normal even before Cooper changes things at the end of the return when the Laura Palmer case is solved things slip back into the groove a little bit it's like people are continue as they would have been before Laura's death but that's also ironic because any nostalgia that these characters would have had for the time before Laura died is only nostalgia because they were being ignorant to all the horrible things that were actually happening in the town and to Laura before she was killed. And so does that mean that when Laura's case is solved, they will just go back to being ignorant? Does that, you know, do they, it's, it's a bizarre thing because the series just seems to slip back into how it was in the pilot before everyone finds out. We get the school and we get, you know, and it's it's like life life carries on undisturbed, but it can't do that because A, it was never that good in the first place because people were just being ignorant to what was happening to Laura. It's what Bobby says at the funeral, everyone was letting her down. So that rosy time that everyone, the characters might want to go back to, that James and Donna want to go back to, never really existed. Because now they know that they never really knew Laura. And it's fascinating that there is this time in the middle of season two when the series slips back into how life would have been. But of course, things have been changed forever because Laura is dead. For the most part, it's still her picture that ends the episodes. And it's still it's still her story really and cooper is still there cooper is there as a direct result of laura and he does not leave so if he stays things can't go back to the way they were no matter what they're perceived to be and that raises another interesting point which is something um an article i read on the 25 years later site um was was jean renault right in saying that Cooper brought the nightmare. There's that, it's a brilliant scene when they're in Dead Dog, Dead Dog Farm, that's really hard to say, when they're in Dead Dog Farm and Cooper's being held prisoner, it's just before Denise comes in to save him and John is like, before you came, things were simple, I sold drugs to high school students and everything was just fine. And of course it wasn't, but there is this nostalgia for a past that never really existed. And Cooper and Laura's death have undeniably changed things. But is it Laura's death or is it just Cooper? I mean, obviously one caused the other. But Cooper still came to town. 
because if you if you if you remove Laura's death from the equation like the return seems to do and she just goes missing instead Cooper still comes to the town to investigate her disappearance because that's what the final dossier tells us so in that scenario surely it is Cooper that brings the nightmare surely it is Cooper that makes the big change in Twin Peaks he's the one that says no you can't go back to the way things were purely just by his presence there which brings me on to another point is what what is Cooper doing within the series like what is his his function and in terms of nostalgia what's he there to do and I think if the series is aesthetically 50s and it's emulating this kind of time and this tone well then Cooper I think he's there as a dose of realism. I think, I mean, obviously, he is a, I mean, he's a marvellous character and he is so optimistic and positive and kind of moral as well. And I think that morality is just a delight to find in a detective character. Britain has a lot of detective shows where the main character is hugely flawed, which is good because characters should be flawed and Cooper is flawed. But I don't know, there's just this this sense that British detectives often have to be quite downtrodden. And the fact Cooper is not that is so brilliant. Um, and and is, it is idealistic and it is kind of old fashioned in a way that, that he's like this. But I think primarily he's there because he's the one who's bringing a bit of realism to the town. He's saying no, he's not treading all over the town like Albert does, but he's saying no, wake up, this has happened. He's respecting what people are feeling about it, the way that the death has disturbed their town. But he is there as the realistic voice going, these things were happening beforehand, you know. This is the this this has happened. He is there as a constant reminder um, that something has gone wrong. So if he is there as a kind of dose of realism within the narrative, if he's there to tell the town that look this nostalgic life that you had, this nostalgia you maybe still had, still have for the town, this nostalgia that you maybe still have for the town as it was before Laura died, it's it's not helpful. It's, it's not the full story. So if Cooper's there saying that, it makes perfect sense for him to try and save Laura at the end. Because it's this... I mean, there's a whole discussion to be had about whether Cooper is kind of fulfilling this white saviour narrative and um, or this specifically this white male saviour narrative and he fails and that's brilliant that he tries to save Laura and he can't because he fails that is excellent and then he finds her again and it's Carrie Page the fact he keeps failing is great but also it's it's interesting because it's it's kind of stating that Cooper's belief is that he is Cooper's belief is that Laura's death was the reason that everything changed in the town. Laura's death is the catalyst for things going wrong. In in that scenario where Cooper is trying to remove her from her death, which to varying degrees of success maybe he does, hard to say. If he removes her from her death, if he takes her home, that's a hugely naive move to do, right? 
because home is not a safe place for her. Whether Cooper knows that Judy, big evil spirit person, may actually be her mum or not, taking her home, removing her death, you know, but only before the point of her death, not stepping in to save her years before, not stepping in from childhood to save her from Bob. Cooper doesn't save her in that sense. He literally just tries to fix the death so it doesn't happen. Almost like so he's just trying to save the town from ever changing so it can stay in this happy, ignorant, nostalgic place. But it's only right that he fails because you can't do that. And even if he'd have succeeded, he wouldn't have removed the endless trauma Laura had suffered before, you know, before he intervened. So that's making a fascinating statement that if Cooper is there to be a sense of realism, to be a wake-up call to the town, which I think he kind of is, you know, in the first couple series, he's not doing that in the return. Because, because he fails. Because even if he saves Laura, he's ignorant enough to think that it's saving her completely. That can't be done. And he's you know, and the, and the fact that he wants to take her home shows, it's, it's quite naive, I think. And I think the fact that he thought he could save her is quite naive as well. And it's fascinating that I think the people who live in Twin Peaks are nostalgic for a time that didn't really exist, a time pre-Laura's death. Cooper's just acting out their wish, right? That's just wish fulfilment. It's like he's been pulled, it's like he's trying to do one last thing for the town. Maybe for Laura, but that doesn't quite read all the way through. Um, so whatever he's, maybe for the greater good of the universe, because he's he's stopping the evil ever getting its claws into the town. Whatever grand scheme Cooper is, you know, undertaking, whatever thing he's trying to save, big or small... The fact he fails, I think his ultimate Lynch and Frost going, no, you can't reverse what's happened. You can't go back to that nostalgia. And what you're doing is flawed. Um, and it's, it's only right that he doesn't succeed. So what does that mean in terms of the end of season three? Like, where does that leave the story? Because... The town goes back to this place where it's pre-Laura's death, except it's not, but it's not as changed as if Laura would have died, perhaps. Maybe there's an argument for saying Cooper brought the nightmare because Laura only went missing. So the town sort of changes, but it sort of doesn't change. And it sort of keeps this old, ignorant, nostalgic thing about itself, but it also sort of has to face up to its reality. It's in a weird kind of mid-place and and there are now two versions of events. There's the version of events which is Twin Peaks and there's the version of events which is Twin Peaks Part 18 of The Return and onwards. And both of those exist at the same time, like a ghost who exists both in the past and in the present. And both of those events cannot exist and yet they do exist at the same moment. And then there's potentially another reality as well that's Cooper has stepped into where he saves Carrie Page, whatever relationship Carrie Page has to this this world of Twin Peaks that we know. But to take the the town itself, where are they 
by the end of season three? I honestly don't think we know. I think there are there are two possible versions of events now. I think it's a truly hauntological town in that sense because it's existing in both places because um, it's kind of still got its nostalgia but also it doesn't really because Cooper still came um, or he's still going to come once Laura's disappeared. It's just in a weird in-between place. It's in The town is in limbo now and it's impossible to say what the town would be like and what the people of the town would be like and how changed they would be after the events of the return. So I'm really excited to see, well, basically to get that complicated further if a season four ever happens, because I think a season four would be as different from season three as season three was to what would come before. And I think it would just be an insane piece of television in whatever form it comes in. Um, so hopefully that's something that one day we'll get. But really, I suppose the, the question that I'm now interested in answering is, are Lynch and Frost nostalgic or realistic or both? Because I think in season one, there are elements of nostalgia, but they're realistic about them. They have Cooper coming in from the real world who gets a little bit drawn into the town. And then there's Albert who comes in as the bad guy, but then softens, but then never really gets drawn into the ways of this small town life. Albert's there to call them out. And I think Lynch and Frost ultimately have a healthy relationship with writing nostalgia. Any nostalgia in Twin Peaks, or in any of Lynch's things really, it's always tainted with a realism, with a darkness. Um, you know, and... I think Cooper is there a little bit to provide a wake-up call, less so as he goes on and gets more integrated with the town. But I think the series always keeps a kind of healthy relationship with nostalgia. It knows that it can't entirely wish for a better time because such thing as wishing for a better time isn't doesn't really exist. Um, but uh, the thing I love about Lynch and Frost's nostalgia and kind of coming back into the fandom side of the argument, is that they, they, they do let things happen that the fans really wanted to happen. Ed and Norma get together. Because they, they have that moment in season two where they're almost together and then Nadine wakes up and it's like, the producers have let this happen and then Lynch comes back and it's kind of like, oh, Nadine's talking about Drake Runners again. I actually, maybe I'm one of the few people who loves Nadine's storyline in season two. I really enjoy the fact that she kind of regresses to being a high school student who is somehow superhumanly strong. It's ridiculous, but I have to say I preferred it to her season one plot when I first watched it. And I kind of, because season one, she doesn't really have a plot in season one. She has a note and she just keeps on with the same note. And I don't think it's as funny as perhaps other people do. Um, and I've softened to it on every rewatch, but I, I still keep a little bit of... I still prefer, I think, Nadine's season two plot, actually. And But that doesn't mean that there isn't joy in seeing the fact she has her shop in the return. Like, that is... It's not fan service. It's, it's kind of nostalgia in a good way. It's like... It's like, yes, this is a character who got what she wanted and boy, did she want it. Ed and Norma, same thing. They get what they want like and 
I think those elements of nostalgia are fine and they're healthy because so often they're tempered by things going wrong, the darkness, the realism of it. So often things don't go well for those characters and the fact that some of it does, I think is the perfect, the perfect balance um, of how to approach a series 25 years later. And I think it will be fascinating to look at a season four or another book from Frost if we ever get either of those, just to see... Okay, so what's the town like now? What's the approach to the series like now things are so different? Which which universe are we even in now? Um, and that's a whole other discussion. Maybe instead of a Twin Peaks universe, I should refer to it as a Twin Peaks multiverse, because it kind of feels like that now. Um, and I'm in desperate need of a return rewatch, which I'll get to soon, but... Also, I just think I'm, I'm, there's something joyous in not quite understanding which universe intersects with where and where Carrie Page is and where Cooper is. And there's a, there's a joy in not knowing that. And there's a lot of really interesting theories um, out there about it. And I'm yet to work out my own. So I'm hoping that a return rewatch will help me kind of get my head around it further. Um, that's what I felt about Mulholland Drive, actually. Mulholland Drive is my favourite Lynch film, by far. It's just one of my favourite films, actually. It's just gorgeous. Um, but but on second watch, or third watch or something, I was like, oh my god, yeah, this makes complete sense to me. And that might not be what Lynch was intending. That might be a really simplistic reading of events, but I kind of get it. In a sense, I didn't get it the first time. So I'm hoping that some sort of theory like that clicks with me for the return season three on how those universes interconnect. Um, but that was a bit of a tangent. There we go. That is my, my, my rambling about the series and about nostalgia and hauntology and kind of how Twin Peaks is written and what the characters within it are like and what the town within it is like and how it changes and I think this podcast has basically just generated so many unanswered questions that basically season four would have to answer it is basically a so what happens now we have a town in limbo what and characters hugely in limbo more so than they were at the end of season two what happens now you know what does Laura whisper into Dale's ear I saw someone on Twitter say it was I don't want to be saved which I think is great um yeah, it's a a fascinating series to dive into and just discuss and ramble about. And hopefully in there's some sort of thread of debate or argument or opinion in this podcast you've been able to pick through. So if there's anything of interest to you, let me know. Always up for a discussion about um, about Twin Peaks. This is very much not a set theory. It's just throwing some things to a wall and seeing what sticks. Um, and I will be back very soon talking about something else, maybe an episode. I want to talk a bit more about season two at some point, but I've got a lot of other ideas as well um, of things to discuss. So thank you very, very much for listening. I really need a drink because I've been talking for a long time and I will see you very soon. <laughs>